This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. What defines you? Put another way, who are you? And maybe some of you are asking that question, who's this guy? Um, hi, my name's Connor. I'm the college minister here at First Arlington. And um, it's an honor to get to talk to you today. But that question of definition, while it's interesting, is not really one that we ask. Like, you don't really go up and say, how do you define yourself, right? Instead, we might ask a question, at least in the college realm, the typical question is, hey, what's your major? What are you studying? For me, my major in my undergrad was information systems. I studied that at UTA. Then I went on to Criswell College and studied uh, a master's of Christian studies there for my graduate degree. But as I graduated and got older and moved on from school times, the question shifted, and maybe it shifted for you as well, to what do you do for a living? Well, I just said, I'm the college minister. Maybe the question is, where are you from? I'm from Arlington, grew up here. Who's your family? Maybe another question, especially here, even hearing that testimony during the giving time. There's so many families here of generations, right? Who are you related to? It's probably a decent question to ask at First Arlington. Uh, my family, I'm married to Patience. She's over there. Patience, wait, yay. She's the cooler of the two. Um, but married to Patience, we've got a dog named Daisy. So excited to be here this morning. And as a church, we're in the starting season of an eight-season discussion focused on the question, why does it matter? Why does it matter? And right now, this first season is focused on why does anything matter? And we're using the Gospel of John as kind of a guiding discussion point for all of these questions as we walk through this year of 2023. And I wanna thank Dr. Wiles, who in his absence has asked me to preach here this morning on John 13:1, entitled, Love Is, where we come face to face with how the author of John's Gospel, John, uh, defines Jesus's ministry. For John, it all came down to one word, love. And I think for most of us here, if we're honest with ourselves, the meaning of life, the thing that gives our lives any purpose, it all comes down to that same word, love. So if you would, as is tradition here, stand in the honor of reading the gospel. We're gonna be in John 13, verse one. Don't worry, it's just one verse, so you don't stand that long. Um, Let's read it together. It says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. The big idea for today's discussion about love is that love is the defining, the defining theme of the Christian life. Love is the defining theme of the Christian life. This verse that we just read is profound, not just in its content, but also in its context within the passage, within the book of John. In John chapter 12, verse 12, for example, we have that moment where Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. In, uh, but then up to verse 13, one, some incredible things have been happening. This rising tension has been growing as we've re read over the gospel. And what happens in chapter 11, right? You remember, Lazarus is raised from the dead, which incites a stirring of controversy, 
discussion, allegiance, questions. Jesus is anointed at Bethany, and then Jesus enters at the height of his ministry career where the whole town is screaming, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow, incredible. Prophecy is being fulfilled. Big stuff is happening. And the first section of John is really at that macro level. It's focusing in and it's looking generally at Jesus' life. What were the things that he was doing? And the theme of the Gospel of John in so many places is love. Over and over again to the quotes and the stories of Jesus, we see love at play. And here at this moment in verse one of chapter 13, John pivots to a magnifying glass. He pivots to a magnifying glass on the last few days of Jesus's life here on earth. And he wants to remind us of something, right? He wants to remind us of that theme of love. It undergirds all of Jesus's ministry. He loved and loved to the end. So if love is so defining for John, it's probably a, recent thing, a decent thing to ask ourselves, how do you define love? How do we define it as a culture? Because there are a few things more compelling to our collective human imaginations and motivations than love. Countless books, songs, poems, and works of art have been inspired by just the very idea of love. It is often held up as the highest ideal Yet, for as many songs as there are on love, there seem to be just as many definitions. Looked up a few, thought I'd share them with you. John Lennon said that love is the answer. Not very helpful, John, but okay, cool. Uh, Shakespeare said, love is a smoke made with the fume of sighs. Okay. Emily Dickinson kind of approached it from a different direction. She said that, unable are the loved to die, for love is immortality. Plato had a much less romantic view of love, where he said that love is a serious mental disease. <laughs> Good old Plato. Uh, and Soren Kierkegaard, another philosopher, he said, love is all, it gives all, it takes all. Interesting. The year was 2020, in the fall, and I was standing in line at a Brahms. And the thing is, you know, you stand in line, I'm looking up at the menu, and it's not that, like, I needed to know what I was gonna order. I've been going to Brahms for a long time. Um, love that place. And I know that I'm gonna order the number one with no lettuce and a chocolate milkshake. So okay, that's what I get every time. I'm gonna order it. And I was waiting there, you know, just looking at the menu, killing time and reading what other options they have. I don't even know what options they have. But I was reading over it. And I was waiting for my mentor to arrive. My mentor named Dave. He's been in my life for over 12 years has a profound impact on me and who I am. We try to meet up periodically and often at a Brahms. That day, we were meeting up once again just to hang out, chat, and talk about our lives. As we sat down at a mostly clean booth, uh, we started to talk about what was going on. He chatted about the recent movies that he'd seen. We talked about the books that we were reading. But ultimately, at some point in the conversation, we always shift to, man, what is the Lord teaching you these days? For him, he was learning a lot about love at that time. And he shared with me something simple. He said, you know, Connor, I think I've been learning that really love is just wanting God's best for someone and taking action to see it happen. Love is wanting God's best for someone and taking action to see it happen. And I think in that moment, I said something equally profound in response where I went, oh yeah, man, that, that makes sense. 
You know, those moments in life that maybe you don't recognize at the moment are actually gonna sh- change your whole life. Um, and that, that definition has gone on to change my life. What makes it so special? It's, I think, helpful, it's clear, but it's special because it's directly rooted in ultimate truth, in the word of God and the truth of the gospel. And if we turn our attention back to scripture, uh, we'll find that my mentor's definition of love is really God's definition of love. As we've established, the central theme of the Gospel of John, or one of the central themes, rather, is love. So John likes to write about this, and he continues to like to write about this into his letters. And in particular, 1 John. And some scholars would even go so far as to call 1 John a commentary or a cover letter on the Gospel of John. And so if love is such a big deal to John, what does he mean by it? What does John mean by love? And he kind of spells it out for us in 1 John 3, 18, where he says this, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Let's kind of break it down a bit, starting with truth. What does it mean to love in truth? I'd argue that wanting God's best for someone sums it up pretty nicely, I think. You could say, oh, it's you know, speaking, the, speaking the truth in love. Sure, but I think that really... To love with truth is to love directed by truth. Truth is the highway which our our love operates and drives down. And scripture has a lot to say about God's best for us. Through just plain instructions, but also through testimonies. People who were walking in God's best as he instructed and people who did not. And we learn from those mistakes, hopefully. Um, His commands, his instructions, and examples are meant to guide us towards his best, his best for our lives. Patience and I really enjoy hiking when we get the chance. And a couple years ago, we went to Yosemite. And it was probably one of my favorite trips we've ever gone on. During that trip, we went on a hike out to a place called Taft Point. And it's this long hike through uh, some forest. And then you get to like a 2,000-foot drop-off cliff. Pretty crazy, uh, worth checking out. It's an incredible view at the end of it. And the trip itself, walking through that forest, is pretty amazing too. But at the front of the trail, there's a sign at the trailhead that has instructions. It says things like, hey, don't feed the wild animals, don't veer off, even if it looks cool over there, don't go there. It says, hey, stay on this trail to get to where you're trying to go. The point of those instructions is to make sure that you have a good journey and arrive where you're supposed to arrive. It's the goal of scripture as well, that we have a good journey and arrive where we're supposed to arrive, which is why you should be reading the Bible, by the way. It's good for you. It gives you the instructions to where you can know God's best, understand it, and live accordingly. His truth leads us to his best. And it's important to listen to it because God's best often doesn't look like our desires. Our desires have to fall in line with how he defines the best. We've got to submit to that. We've got to listen to him because he's going to lead us to where we find ultimate satisfaction. But remember the definition, wanting God's best for someone and taking action to see it happen. It's not just knowing God's best for someone. It's wanting it, wanting it. Really, this is a form of compassion if you think about it. Do we care enough about the people around us to actually want God's best for them? Do we? Even our enemies? 
even that one person at work <laughs> that's just really annoying or whatever, right? Do we care enough about them? Do we actually desire that at a heart level or not? In ourselves, we cannot hope to accomplish this, by the way. We can grit our teeth and get through it and put on a smile and everything, but that heart desire, that only comes from the Holy Spirit because he is able to actually change our desires. And it's easy to feel loving towards the people that we like, but a heart that truly desires God's best for everyone comes only through a connection with Jesus. Spiritual maturity is about deeper and deeper dependence on Christ. If we desire to know God's best and want God's best for others, we must press into the heart of Christ through the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. But wait, there's more, right? It's not just a statement about wanting God's best, desiring it, feeling good things for other people. You've got to do something about it. That verse says, let us love in action as well. For love to be completely experienced, there must be action. You must take action to see it happen. We cannot passively love. We aren't given the option to. Scripture does not allow it. The example of Jesus doesn't line up with that at all, of just passively loving. True love contains feelings and emotions and sacrificial care and all of those things, but those are really just pieces of the whole. The core of Christ-like love is doing whatever it takes for someone to experience the best that God has for them. Truth, I believe, when rightly understood, demands action. You live what you truly believe. When the rubber hits the road, what you turn to shows what you believe. So what do you believe? What do you really believe about this Jesus that we sing about, that we read about? Is he able? Does he love you? He does. If we want to walk in complete love, action must follow. It must. But what sort of action, right? For that, I think we can look no further than the example of Jesus. If you can, let's turn back to John chapter 13, verse 1. And I think it's interesting that he starts out that statement about his love by saying, having loved right, that transition statement. Jesus said, having loved those who were with him. Love is wanting God's best for someone and taking action to see it happen. And this is exactly what Jesus did, right? He wanted his best for us and then took action. He came, he lived, he died so that we could, we could experience that. But in the midst of his ministry, right, this statement that John is making, having loved, looking back at the ministry of the rest of John, what did he do so far? I think we see countless examples if you read it. He healed them, he taught them, he was a friend to them, he encouraged them, he wept with them, he forgave them, he provided for them, he reached out to the outcast, he cast out demons, he served them, he prayed for them, he brought them into direct contact with God. What love. Fundamentally, Jesus loved those around him by taking action to see God's best manifest in their lives and to point them ultimately to the kingdom. That's how he loved. According to John, love defined everything Jesus did. So I ask you again, what defines you? Define Jesus in this way. According to Jesus, later in this very same chapter, 
the answer that defines him should be defining us. If you read with me, it's in verses 34 through 35 of John 13. He says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Within the context of this story in John chapter 13, which I encourage you to read, um, Jesus speaks those words right after washing his disciples' feet. And not just his favorite disciples or the ones that he was closest with or the ones that he liked, loved all of them, clearly, because he washed the feet of his betrayer. Jesus makes this statement to show us that we don't get to write anybody off. There's no one that we can say, well, I don't have to love them, right? No, Jesus loved everybody. He loved them and he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end, even the ones who would betray him. Friends, we are not given a suggestion from Jesus. We are given a command. We have to do something with that. What are we gonna do with it? We are to be defined by love. For me, I am growing in this. I'm not perfect at it. It's something that I am trying to live my life by. And what I find to be a helpful, guiding, North Star kind of question is this. What is most loving? When I'm faced with an interpersonal situation or a relationship question or, or even a career decision, what is most loving is a good question to ask yourself. And it's not just, hey, where do I get good vibes? How do I feel about this? But man, what is most Christ-like? How do I live out the gospel in this moment, even in this decision that feels mundane? What is most loving? Because we are, get, we are to be defined by love. Then we have that back half of the statement, right? At the very end of this verse. He says, he loved them to the end. I mentioned at the start of our study this morning how John chapter 13, verse one, is something of a turning point in the gospel. John is moving from examples of how Jesus loved his own at a macro level and turns our attention to how Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus wanted to heal, teach, and encourage, cast out demons, do all of these things. But that wasn't the conclusion or the climax of his ministry. He loved to the end because he bore our sins. He redeemed us. He rose from the grave. He raised us. He set us free. He reconciled us to the Father. He provided the Spirit to us. He gave us hope. He gave us a future. At the start of this verse, John reminds us that this was the plan the whole time, right? He says, he's, he's gonna go do this. He knew he was gonna do it. Jesus meant to come, to take the penalty for your sins and mine, to face the full wrath of God, to pay the debt that we couldn't, to rise from the grave and to offer you and me the chance not just to be loved, but to love like he loved to be transformed at a fundamental level. The love defined on the cross was so powerful that it transforms the recipients from enemies to allies to family. We're a family of God because of love. We aren't just rescued, we are redeemed and empowered to love others sacrificially in the hopes of spreading this kind of transforming love to everybody. That's the calling we have as Christians to be disciple makers. In drawing near to Christ's heart, you and I become his hands. 
As Christ served, we are to serve. As Christ prayed, we are to pray. As Christ forgave, we are to forgive. As Christ encouraged, we are to encourage. As Christ reached out, we are to reach out. As Christ wept with others, we are to weep with them. As Christ was a friend, we are to befriend. As Christ taught, so we are to teach. As Christ laid down his life for his friends, so we are to lay down our life for those around us as well. It was not good feelings or mere affection that drove Christ to the cross. It was love. It was this kind of love. And because of this love, the end wasn't the end. This gospel, this book of John, hinges, it has this turning point on love. For everybody in this room, our turning point today hinges on love as well. This morning, we come to a crossroads of decision. Where will you turn? To the well wishes of the world or to the self-sacrificing, eternity-altering love of Christ? You're not gonna find this kind of love elsewhere in the world. And it's what makes Christ-like love so different from the offerings in the world because nothing else in the world can give you God's best but Jesus. Have you turned to him? Do you know him? The good news of the gospel is that this love is freely available to all, even you, even me. The truth is, none of us have lived up to God's best as he's defined it in scripture. We've all fallen short. Both in intention and in accident, we fall and fail, and that failure is called sin. The Bible says that the penalty for sin is death and separation from God. But as John relates in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. To believe in Jesus, I tell our students this all the time, to believe in Jesus is more than just admiring him. It's more than just agreeing with his mission. It's more than just believing that he existed. To believe is to commit your life. As we said before, we live out what we truly believe. To believe is to follow. It's to turn from your sin and ask him to redeem and lead your life. It's to trust him. Will you trust him today? Because if we could get gut level honest here in this moment, just you and God, as I ask this question, have you done that? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you turned it over to him? And if not, why not today? It's a beautiful day. It's a lovely day outside. It's a good day to give your life to the Lord. Why not today? For those of us who have made that decision, I ask you once more, what defines you? What do you want to be known for? It is my heart's desire that I would be defined by this kind of love. I want that. I don't always measure up, but it's redefining me. And I pray that we would be a church defined by Christ-like love today. The love modeled on the cross is not just to be admired, it is to be imitated. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. 
While we were yet sinners, God, you died for us. You took our place, you took action because you wanted to, because you're a great God. Lord, I pray over the people in this room. Lord, I know how loving this church is. I've experienced it, I've felt it, we've been supported by it. Lord, I ask that we would not walk away from the service, from this word, from the truth of who you are, God, unchanged. Lord, stir in hearts today. Draw people to salvation. Lord, the most loving thing we can do is tell other people about you. So give us boldness, even at lunch, even as we go home, even as we go into Monday, God. I pray that we would be people who are defined by love. In your name I pray, amen.